Because the previous parak told us that when a Kohen Godel is judged, at least when it comes to a capital case, which could involve a death penalty, then we require a basin of 71 dionim, even though a regular capital case only requires a basin of 23 dionim. This Mishnah starts talking about other laws which refer to a Kohen Godel and judging and based in, and then it goes a bit sidetracked to discuss other laws regarding a Kohen Godel and maintaining the high status and the holiness and sanctity of a Kohen Godel. Says the Mishnah Kohen Godel, Don, a Kohen Godel can judge, he can be part of a based in, and we're not concerned that once he makes his decision, all of the other Dayonim are going to follow what he decided. As well as that, for Don and Osai, we would judge him in a based in if he did any uh, particular Avera which requires a punishment. He receives the regular punishment just like anybody else. And if it's a monetary law, he would be judged in a based in of three judges. Just if it's a capital case, then he requires a based in of 71 instead of 23, like we learned in the previous parrot. Mayid, a Kengol can be a witness to testify against somebody else, although the Gemara adds that in general it's considered to be below the dignity and honor of a Kengol to testify against anybody, and therefore only if he is testifying against the son of a king, and the king is going to be present at that court case, only then would it not be considered to be dishonorable and below his dignity for him to testify. And other people can testify against him. He's not above the law, and just like we learned at the beginning of this Mishnah, he can be judged and punished just like everybody else. Now, the Torah commands that if a man gets married and dies without children, there is a mitzvah on that man's brother to marry the dead man's wife, the widow, and this is known as yibum. Now, in certain cases where either they don't want to perform yibum, or it's forbidden to perform yibum, because for whatever reason the man's brother is forbidden to marry her, so she's actually forbidden to marry anybody else unless she goes through a process in Bastin known as chalitza, and the process consisted of reading certain pesukim, and she would take off his shoe, and she would also spit in front of him. So Nisha says that if the Kohen brother dies without any children, Choylates, the Kongodol, can go through this process of chalitza in order to allow the dead man's wife to remarry somebody else. And even though she needs to spit in front of him, and we might think that it's below his dignity, since it's for the sake of this mitzvah, and it's clear why it's being done, so he can do chalitza, and if he dies without children, then his brother can go through the process of chalitza for the sake of his wife. We're going to see in the next Mishnah, this is unlike a king, and we'll explain the reason over there. And the Kongodol's brother could also do Yibum with the Kongodol's widow, once the Kongodol dies. However, in a case where the Kongodol's brother dies, but the Kongodol cannot perform Yibum with his brother's widow, because a Kongodol is forbidden to marry a widow. A woman who has been married before cannot get married to a Kongodol. Continues the Mishnah. Mace mace. If one of the Kohen Godel's closest relatives die, the law is that a regular Kohen is forbidden to become Tomei from a dead body. However, the Torah writes that there are seven exceptions. When, the Kohen, when a regular Kohen's seven closest relatives die, then the Kohen is allowed to become Tomei in order to assist in their burial. That would be the Kohen's father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, or wife. However, that's regarding a regular Kohen. A Kohen Godel, however, is forbidden to become Tomei even to bury his closest relatives. And in addition to that, in a Yetzirah HaMittah, he cannot even go out and follow the coffin in the funeral process because we're concerned that out of his distress 
and sadness, he might come to become Tommy from the coffin, he might be overcome with grief and won't realize properly, and he'll end up becoming Tommy. Rather, when they, the people who are carrying out the funeral, when they are hidden, he can be revealed. Meaning if they're going through the streets, so if they turn into a new street, then the Kohen Gadol will be able to carry on walking, and as soon as they appear, and he can see them, then he would need to hide himself. The point is, he cannot follow the coffin and the funeral as long as he is within sight of it. And he can go out with them, following them in this way, until they reach the entrance of the city. But after that, there's no longer streets covering the coffin, so he would certainly be able to see it, and therefore he would no longer be able to continue following after the funeral. The Rebbe that is the opinion of Rebbe says, He's not allowed to even leave the base Hamikdash. He cannot follow the funeral at all. Shalem, as the Pesach says, And he shall not leave the base Hamikdash. The way that Rabbi Meir interprets this Pasuk is that it's not saying he can't leave the Beis Hamikdash. It's saying that he cannot leave his state of Kedusha, his state of sanctity, meaning he needs to make sure that he won't become Tommy. Now, it should be noted, since the entire reason why he cannot follow the funeral is in case he becomes so sad and overcome that he'll become Tommy. It follows, therefore, that if it's not a relative, then he would actually be able to follow after the coffin. Of course, it would be forbidden to become Tommy, but we're not concerned that he'll become overcome, and therefore he is able to follow after the funeral. When he is comforting others, if, let's say, he went to a funeral of somebody who is not a relative, and after the burial, the custom was that the mourners, the relatives of the person who had died, as they're walking back from there, everybody there would form two lines, and the mourners would walk in between them. And as they were walking, the people would comfort them. So if the Kongolo wishes to be part of this process, he doesn't just stand there like everybody else, that's considered to be below his honor. Rather, the way of everybody else, of the rest of the people, is that they would pass one after the other and comfort the mourners. But in this case, the deputy Kongolo, who is appointed as a replacement of the Kongolo in case something happens, he would be there. And he would direct the Kohen Gadol in between him and the people, meaning he would be in between everybody else and the Kohen Gadol, and he would separate the Kohen Gadol a little bit, a little bit from the rest of the people. All right, and when the Kohen Gadol is being comforted by others, if he is a mourner over a dead relative, all of the people say to him, We should be your atonement. Anything bad which is going to come upon you should really come to us. And the Kohen would reply to them, You should be blessed from heaven. Now the law is that the first meal which a mourner eats after his relative has died and been buried needs to be given to, to the mourner from, from other people. And the Mishnah says, When they would give the, him the first meal, All of the people would be sitting on the ground to show that they are sharing in his mourning and they are also saddened and he the Kongola would sit on a low bench, not the ground, but a low bench, in order to once again preserve his honour and dignity. When it comes to a king, he cannot judge, he can't be part of a basin, and the basin cannot judge him. The reason why the basin cannot judge him is because of a story which once happened with Yanai Hamelech, one of the kings who didn't accept the ruling of the Beistin, and this really put the entire power and position of the Beistin in jeopardy. 
The basin's rule needs to be shown to be absolute. And therefore it was decreed that kings would no longer be judged in the basin in case they wouldn't accept the ruling. And as an extension of that, they are also not allowed to be part of the basin judging other people, since one is only able to be part of the basin if he himself is fit to be judged. It should be noted that this was only said about kings who are not descended from David HaMelech. When the Chachon made this decree, they only said it regarding other kings. However, regarding kings who descend from David HaMelech, the Pesukim write that there is actually an idea that they should specifically be part of the judging. So this law is said about the other kings. A king cannot testify against somebody else and other people cannot testify against him. For him to testify, it's considered to be below his honor. And other people, obviously, there's no use in them testifying against him if he can't even be judged by Basin. If his brother dies without children, then he would not perform chalitza. When it comes to a king, it is considered to be below his honor and dignity for the woman to spit in front of him. As well as that, if he dies without children, then his brother would not do chalitza with his wife. Because as we're about to learn, a, a king's wife, once she's married to the king, even if she becomes a widow or something, she is forever forbidden to marry anybody else. This is part of the honor of a king. It would be dishonorable to marry anybody else after that. So since she's anyway forbidden to marry anybody else, the whole idea of chalitza is to permit her to marry somebody else instead of the yovon, instead of the dead man's brother. But over here where she's anyway forbidden to marry anybody else, there's no reason to do chalitza. Lomi Yabim, the Kohen Gadol cannot perform Yibum with his dead brother's wife, because the idea of Yibum is to continue the legacy of the dead man. Since he had no children, so you'll marry the dead man's wife, and any children which you'll have together will be considered somewhat the children of the dead man. Once again, this is considered to be below the honor of the king for him to be continuing the legacy of somebody else. And if he dies, they wouldn't perform Yibum with his wife, because as we mentioned, she is not allowed to marry anybody else after being married to the king. Rabbi Yehuda says, this is all because of the honor of the king. But in Ratzah, if the king wanted to perform he should be remembered for the good. He is foregoing his own honor for the sake of a mitzvah. However, Omrulay the Chachom said to him, in Shomin we don't listen to him, and we do not allow him to forego his honor, even for the sake of a mitzvah. And this is learned from Pesukim, which says, You should surely place upon yourself a king. The mission at the end of this perek will derive from this Pesuk that one needs to fear a king and always have awe of him. And since the Torah uses the double expression, You shall surely place... We learn from there that it applies even in the case of a mitzvah. And it's forbidden for anybody to marry the widow of a king. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, there's one exception. Another king, let's say the next king in line, is allowed to marry the wife, the widow of the previous king. Because that's what we find out with David HaMelech. He married the widow of Shaul HaMelech who was the king before him. Shanema, as the Pesach says, The Novi, the prophet, says to David HaMelech, I will give to you the household of your master, referring to Sha'ul, and the wives, the women of your master Sha'ul HaMelech, in your lap. So you see that David HaMelech was allowed to marry the widows of Sha'ul HaMelech. However, according to the Tanakhama, this is not referring to Sha'ul HaMelech's wives, but rather to his daughters. David HaMelech indeed married two of Sha'ul's daughters.
If a king's relative dies, he's not allowed to even leave the entrance of his palace in order to follow after the funeral. Even though there is no issue of tumor when it comes to a king, nevertheless it's considered to be below his dignity to show his sadness in public. Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Huda says, If he himself wants to go after the coffin, he's allowed to. And he can forego on that honor, because that's what we find regarding that he went after the coffin of Avner. Avner was a big Talmud Chacham. And David HaMelech's general of his army, Yoyov, killed Avner. And David HaMelech was extremely angry about this and extremely saddened by it as well. And he went after, he led the funeral of Avner once he was killed by Yoyov. As the Pesach says, And David the king was going behind the coffin, Omruloi. The Chachom said to Rabbi Huda, really in general, a king is forbidden to do this. Over there it was different. The only reason why David HaMelech did that was in order to appease the people and to show them that even though his general was the one who killed Avner, he was not happy about this, and it was not by his instruction that Avner was killed, and this was in order to make sure people wouldn't start rebelling. And only because of that, David HaMelech went and followed after the funeral. But in general, it's forbidden. Alright, and when they give the king the first meal once he is a mourner, like we learned in the previous Mishnah, that needs to be given to him by other people. Once again, all of the other people would sit on the ground to show that they are sharing his mourning. The Hu and the king himself, he would sit on a dargesh, which is some sort of stool. Once again, in order to preserve his honor, the stool is slightly more comfortable than a bench which the Kohen Godel would sit on when he is a mourner. A king, because his honor is even greater, he would sit on a slightly more comfortable stool, although he is mourning, but he wouldn't sit on the ground because that is indeed below his dignity. This mission now discusses the various rights and abilities of a king. And the mission begins, The king can bring out his army for a voluntary war to expand the borders of Israel, for example. But he can only do this with the permission of the Sanhedrin of 71 judges, like we learned in the previous parak. Another right of the king is he is allowed to breach through somebody's fence in order to make a pathway through that person's field, meaning if he needs to get somewhere, he is allowed to go through somebody else's field, and nobody is able to protest. The pathway of the king, when he does this, it has no maximum width, however much of the field he needs to get through, and even if he needs his army to get through, he is allowed to do that. And when they fight in the army... And they get spoils of war. All of the people, all of the soldiers would place the spoils in front of the king. The law is that the spoils of war would be split. Half between, half would go to the king and half would be split between the people who fought and who helped in the battle. And Mishnah says, The king can take his portion first. He can choose which half he wants. The remainder of this Mishnah now discusses the prohibitions and the limitations of a king. The Torah says that a king cannot have too many wives. Rather, the maximum is 18 wives. Of course, in the times of the Mishnah, this wasn't considered to be so much, at least for a king. And this is learnt from Pesukim, where David HaMelech had six wives, and the Novi, the prophet, told him that I will add to you like these and like these. 
meaning the amount of wives that you have, I'll add to you, and he said it twice. So he learned from there that it will be another six and another six, which in total is 18 wives. Rabbi Huda says, He's allowed to increase however many wives he wants, as long as they don't turn his heart away from Hashem. Because the Torah says that the reason why he can't have lots of wives is so that he doesn't end up getting too involved with them, and they might turn him away from his focus on Hashem. Rabbi Shimon says, He's forbidden to marry even one woman who's going to um, lead him to have a less of a focus on Hashem. What does the Pesach mean when it says that you can't have a lot of wives? That's referring to wives of Abigail. Wives like Abigail, who are extremely righteous. There the maximum is 18, but if it's someone who's going to lead the king astray, then it's forbidden to marry her at all. All right? The Torah also says, He cannot have a lot of horses. The maximum he can have is however many he needs for his chariots for war. But he can't own horses just for his own honor and not for the sake of war. And thirdly, the Torah says, And he cannot have a very large amount of silver and gold. Elor, rather, only enough to give the wages of his soldiers. But no more than that. This is referring to the personal possessions of the king. However, the possessions which are royal and which are designated for the public needs, they can be more than that. Alright, now the last part of the Mishnah says, And he needs to write a Sefer Torah for his name, meaning even though in general everybody is obligated to write a Sefer Torah, every Jew, or at least to get a Sefer Torah written, a Kengol has had a mitzvah to write up another one, a second one. And his Sefer Torah would be smaller than a normal Sefer Torah, because he had to carry it around with him wherever he went. Even when he was going out to war, he would have to bring that Sefer Torah with him and carry it in his arms. Nichnos, when he comes in back from war, and he's doing his regular activities, he needs to bring it in with him to his house, whatever he is doing, then, if he is sitting in judgment, even though he cannot be part of a base den, it could be referring to a king who is descended from David HaMelech, so he can be part of a base den. And when he is doing that, the Sefer will be with him. May save when he sits down to eat, the Sefer will be opposite him. Shenemah, as the Pasuk says, and it will be with him, and he will read the Sefer Torah for all the days of his life. And we learn from there that the Kohen Gol has to go around all of the time with a small Sefer Torah in his arms.